This is the Padre Peregrino podcast. Theology from a wandering priest where you can learn scripture from the fathers and traditional catechisms for free. Join Father David Nix here for shows on church reform and world politics, all from the point of view of apostolic Catholicism, the original founded by Christ. This is RCT number 20, Suffered Under Pontius Pilate. RCT stands for the Roman Catechism of Trent. We are on pages 51 to 53. This is the Creed, Article 4, Part A. God give you his peace, in nomine Patris, Sifiri, Spiritu Santi, Amen. O heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us of all impurity and save our souls. O good one, in nomine Patris, Sifiri, Spiritu Santi, Amen. Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The importance of this article. How necessary is a knowledge of this article, and how assiduous the pastor should be in stirring up in the minds of the faithful the frequent recollection of our Lord's passion. We learn from the Apostle when he says that he knows nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified in 1 Corinthians 2.2. The pastor, therefore, should exercise the greatest care and pains in giving a thorough explanation of this subject, in order that the faithful, being moved by the remembrance of so great a benefit, may give themselves entirely to the contemplation of the goodness and love of God towards us. Okay, on that, a few thoughts from me. You know, what better could be said of anyone in life than that they came to know nothing except Jesus and him crucified? So why doesn't Paul say he came to know the risen Christ if we know and believe as Catholics that Easter is the greatest feast of the church? Yeah, we do know Easter is even greater than Good Friday. So why did Paul say he came to know nothing but Christ and him crucified? Well, of course, St. Paul believed in the risen Christ and preached about him a lot. He obviously believed in the physical resurrection of Jesus and the future resurrection of the body of all those who would be saved. But, you know, someone once asked Father Grishel about why we don't have the risen Lord on our crucifixes. Some people call them resurrexifixes. So someone asked Father Grishel, why don't we have the risen Lord in all of our Catholic classrooms and all the rooms in the Catholic hospitals? Why is it always this crucifix? Isn't that kind of down and sour? And Protestants will often say, well, if you really believe Jesus triumphed over the cross on Easter, shouldn't you meditate on the resurrection more? And so Father Grishel, he said a very interesting line. He said, I've seen Christ crucified many times, but never Christ risen. I've seen Christ crucified many times, but never Christ risen. Now, of course, every time we gaze at the Eucharistic host, either at Mass or in, in exposition and the monstrance, of course, we are gazing at the physical body of Jesus that is both crucified and risen. Did you know that? That the Eucharist is truly the risen body of Christ. So Father Grishel wasn't denying that. When he said, I've seen Christ crucified many times, but never Christ risen, what he meant is, on the streets of New York City, He's seen Jesus crucified many times in the poor left destitute, in the unborn babies killed. This is also the re-crucifixion of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of my people, you do to me. And that's, that is really one great answer from Father Grishel. Now, switch topics a little bit, but we're going to say mainly on the same topic. Recently, I've been struggling with the problem of pain, not doubting God's goodness or power. More like this, this has been a little bit of the... Uh, Temptation, or at least theological question in my heart, is, is this. With this much rebellion in the universe, why did God make angels, and especially men, if he knew, knows outside of time is a better way to put it, that so many men would reject him? 
So a lay friend didn't know I was struggling with this, and he told me about a retreat he was on recently, and a priest that was on this retreat, leading this retreat, he taught that God would rather have a world full of sin and forgiveness than an unredeemed but sterile world with no forgiveness. Now, he wasn't saying God wants a world full of sin, of course. He meant the two options being free will or not free will, that a world full of forgiveness is better than all these planets and galaxies without beings with free will. And that that actually gave me a lot of comfort as I look at all the evil in church and state right now. So I texted this thought um, to another layman, and he replied by reminding me of the words of St. Augustine, who put it in an even more succinct form. God judged it better to bring good from evil than to suffer no evil to exist. This explains all of creation and redemption in in some sense in one sentence. St. Augustine, God judged it better to bring good from evil than to suffer no evil to exist. Then my friend texted me his own thoughts on this. He said, quote, I think our whole existence is part of the testing and inoculation process so that we will be ready for eternity. No more rebellions in heaven after this age. Jesus is the anti-serum to inoculate us from the poisonous venom of the serpent, end quote. So, and by the way, that friend who texted that is just as much against the uh, Fauci-ouchie as I am. So it's interesting he chose those terms. So that's all a little clue today why St. Paul said he wanted to know only Christ and him crucified, as we saw the catechism use that quote. It's not to deny the power of the resurrection. It's to say that on this side of the veil, for this short time on earth, we live, we are supposed to live as Christians, as Christ crucified in a world that hates the truth. But we will have, please God, trillions of years living the resurrection in heaven with the Blessed Trinity, face-to-face with the Blessed Trinity. So with eyes on that resurrection here on earth, let's surrender ourselves as best we can to live as almost little Christ, little Christ's crucified during our short time on this planet. The Catechism continues on the first part of this article, Suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified. The first part of this article, of the second we shall treat hereafter, proposes for our belief that when Pontius Pilate governed the province of Judea under Tiberius Caesar, Christ the Lord was nailed to a cross. Having been seized, mocked, outraged, and tortured in various forms, he was finally crucified. Okay, me again here. I think it's really important the Catechism here shows this is not pious legend what happened. This this really happened in history that when Pontius Pilate governed the province of Judea under Tiberius Caesar, Christ our Lord was nailed to a cross. Okay, and also notice it doesn't just say Jesus suffered and died. We hear those two terms a lot together, and it's absolutely true, but it's a little more specific. It reminds us that the Jews and the Romans came up with the most exquisite plan for pain to inflict on our dear Lord. The Catechism just said, having been seized mocked, outraged, and tortured in various forms, he was finally crucified. Okay, and the Catechism continues under the title Suffered. It cannot be a matter of doubt that his soul, as to its inferior part, was sensible of these torments. For as he really assumed human nature, it is necessary. It is a necessary consequence that he really, and in his soul, experienced a most acute sense of pain. Hence these words of the Savior, My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Matthew 26 and Mark 14. Although human nature was united to the divine person, he felt the bitterness of his passion as acutely as if no such union had existed, because in the one person of Jesus Christ were preserved the properties of both natures, 
human and divine, and therefore was what was passable, that means able to suffer, and mortal remained passable and mortal. While what was impassable, that means not able to suffer, and immortal, that is his divine nature, continued impassable and immortal. Okay, notice right there that word impassable, that's not Chicago term for impossible. That means one who cannot suffer, and in Christ's divinity, he could not suffer, but he did suffer and die as man, which was hypostatically united to his divinity. What, what this is basically saying here is God the Son did not dull the pain nerves of the created body and soul of Jesus. Sometimes people put it in the term of God the Father. We have to be just as clear. It's, it's also God the Son who refrained from dulling his own pain nerves in his own created body and soul. Why? So he could pay the full price for all of the evil of all of time and to show us how much he loves us and to show us that he doesn't dull his own pain nerves, so he won't do it for us, so that he is united to us in our sufferings too. There was no magic trick on this whole thing. He really suffered this. You know, one of the ancient heresies is called docetism. New Advent, which is a very good website, says that this heresy went all the way back to the first century, if you can believe that. It reads, a heretical sect dating back to apostolic times. Their name is derived from dokesis, Greek for appearance or semblance, because they taught that Christ only appeared or seemed to be a man to have been born, to have lived and suffered. Some deny the reality of Christ's human nature altogether, some only the reality of his human body or of his birth or death. Okay, now look, you can see how people would not want to think of their divine Lord as undergoing the humiliation of the crucifixion, especially if they lived in the first century. Notice New Advent said that heresy of thinking Jesus didn't suffer, that he really was God, he really was human, but he really didn't suffer. Notice that, that that heresy goes back to the first century. Well, the people in the first century, they knew how bad a crucifixion was. So I kind of understand why good people fell into that heresy. But it is a heresy. The apostles taught that God did not dull the pain nerves of Jesus on the cross. He went through everything, all of it, for you and me, just as if you and me had gone through it. In fact, we should learn that right from Jesus' own decision on the cross to take no drugs to dull that excruciating pain. It's right there in the Bible. In Mark's gospel, Jesus was offered wine twice. Notice that in Mark 15, 23, it reads, And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, M-Y-R-R-H, but he did not take it. And then Mark 15, 36 reads, And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, putting it on a reed and giving it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. So in Mark 15, 23, Jesus denies the wine. And then uh, several verses later, um, we have that Christ does take that bit of wine. Now, what's the difference? Well, the first, well, let's look at the second one first, since we're going to spend most of the time on the first. The second one, Scott Hahn has a nice meditation on the four cups. This was to fulfill this consummation. But that first thing they offer him, the wine with myrrh, that's basically a narcotic. And what we're learning from this is Jesus refuses to dull the pain. And this is so important to see that he really experienced every drop of physical pain as a normal man. In fact, it was actually much more than you or I would have suffered because St. Thomas Aquinas says, because Jesus' body was so integrated into his soul, because there was no sin dividing it, he was actually much more sensitive to all pain, physical and even emotional. Now, sensitive doesn't mean weaker than your average man. But that, at least physically speaking, Christ's nerves would have caught every drop of pain against the whole body um, as an even greater insult than what you or I would be going 
under if we were scourged at the pillar or had crowns pierce our our head. Many of the mystics say it even went into his eyes, that crown of thorns. Um, and then the, the most excruciating pain that the Romans could come up with, which was the crucifixion. Not to mention the fact he was looking through all of history and paying atonement for all those most hideous sins that had been for the crucifixion, during the crucifixion, which actually is the greatest sin ever, and all future sins. So Jesus was paying the price for every sin he could see as God through all of time, but in a body dying as a human body. And that's why the writer of today's catechism reminds us today with this word acute twice. It says, Christ really assumed human nature. It is a necessary consequence that he really, and in his soul, experienced a most acute sense of pain, and a little bit later it says, although human nature was united to the divine person, he felt the bitterness of his passion as acutely as if no such union had existed. In other words, we can't get away with saying, well, he was God, he could take it. No, he really felt it as a human being, all for you and me. As long as we're talking about pain nerves being dulled, let's talk about the martyrs. I read a page from the Roman Martyrology almost every day, and I would say that maybe 5% of those cases, God dulled the pain nerves of the martyrs to do a miracle to preserve them for the next attempt on their life. Why did he do this? I don't know, but I suspect it was to, to prove to the pagans that God alone is the author of life and death. But those other 95% 95, 95 of the cases of the martyrs, God does not dull their pain nerves. Let me say that again. Normally, God does not dull the pain nerves of his own martyrs. He increases their charity and strength, but he does not reduce their pain. Now, how could I possibly know this? Again, it's because I read the Roman martyrology every day, and often all these different attempts at someone's life will be foiled, and then finally they chop this person's head off. And it does become clear on, on the cases when God, say, dulls the pain of them being burned or thrown in an ocean or whatever, that they finally have to cut off this person's head, that they had no pain in that. That was to prove to the pagans God was in control of this person's life. But again, that was only 5% of it because other times we have, um, like last week in the Roman Martyrology, it mentioned some people that were brought to fire. And this is very interesting terminology. It said they were overcome by the flames in the first combat. That means they denied Christ under, under flame. But then it says they conquered the flames in their second combat. Isn't that so backwards from how we see things today? Or really, we have the backwards view that the time they didn't deny Christ and got burned to death was actually the winning combat. And the time that they, the first time that they were brought to the flames and denied Christ, it says the flames overcame them. Isn't that amazing terminology? Anyway, the point for today is uh, if people can get um, burnt to the point of denying Christ in the Roman martyrology, God's not dulling anyone's pain. The martyrs really have to go through this stuff. Um, at least in 95% of the cases, probably closer to 99% of the cases. Um, so again, as I said earlier, God increases their charity and strength to come a little closer to what Jesus himself had in his created body and soul as far as supernatural charity, just a little bit closer. But of course, the increase in charity and strength in the lives of the martyrs comes only from the merits of the passion of Jesus Christ through Mary. And this is why St. Alphonsus Liguori in his book on the martyrs he talks about how certain would-be martyrs denied Christ under pressure, often the beginnings of pressure. Why? Because they didn't yell out for Jesus to help them. They relied on their own strength. So if you're ever brought to the point of martyrdom, just be begging Jesus and Mary, mentally and possibly verbally, 
for the strength to suffer for them. Don't rely on your own strength. It only comes from God, since martyrdom is actually considered by the saints to be a gift from God. The Catechism continues under Pontius Pilate. Since we find it here so diligently recorded that Jesus Christ suffered when Pontius Pilate was procurator of Judea, the pastor should explain the reason. By fixing the time, which we find also done by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy Timothy 6.13, so important and so necessary an event is rendered more easily ascertainable by all. Furthermore, those words show that the Savior's prediction was really verified. They shall deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucified. Matthew 20.19 He was crucified. The fact that he suffered death precisely on the wood of the cross must also be attributed to a particular counsel of God, which decreed that life should return by the way whence death had arisen. The serpent, who had triumphed over our first parents by the wood of a tree, was vanquished by Christ on the wood of the cross. Many other reasons which the fathers have discussed in detail might be adduced to show that it was fit that our Redeemer should suffer death on the cross rather than in any other way. But as the pastor will show, it is enough for the faithful to believe that this kind of death was chosen by the Savior because it appeared better adapted and more appropriate to the redemption of the human race. For there certainly could be none more ignominious and humiliating. Not only among the Gentiles was the punishment of the cross held accursed and full of shame and infamy, but even in the law of Moses, the man is called accursed that hangeth on a tree. See Deuteronomy 21 and Galatians 3. Okay, me again here for the last section. You know, I hear a lot of Catholics say, I don't memorize scripture because I'm Catholic, and then tee-hee, giggle, giggle. Well, you know what? That's a stupid, if not blasphemous joke, considering how many of the early church fathers, the desert fathers, the city fathers, had the whole Bible memorized. You know, numerous saints, even after the fathers, had the whole Bible memorized, like St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Anthony of Padua. So that's not really a funny joke. Um, it's really modernist Catholics don't learn the Bible at all. And yes, a lot of traditionalists don't either. So they're the ones that really need to stop saying it because it has no basis in history for us not to memorize the Bible. We should be memorizing scripture as Catholics. So I really believe the very best verse to get going in a memorization on the entire reason why Jesus died, well, that line comes from our first Pope, St. Peter, who also wrote two books of the Bible, and the verse that I'm going to suggest that you memorize today is 1 Peter 2.24. I'd encourage you to memorize this to explain to friends, family, in times of distress when you can only think of one line, why Jesus was crucified for us. So that verse in the ESV, it is this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Or in the Douay Rhymes Bible, it's, who his own self bore our sins and his body upon the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live to justice, by whose stripes you were healed. So either way, whatever translation you like, it, it disproves this Calvinist idea that God the Father just took out all of his anger on his son. Why? Because that verse shows that it was our sins he bore in his body, not the Father's wrath, primarily. I mean, it is true that the passion of, Christ, of the Christ did make atonement against and for the just wrath of God. That is in Isaiah, it's in the Church Fathers. We can't deny that entirely. St. Augustine talks about it, even St. Thomas Aquinas talks about it. So um, the wrath of God is even actually in St. John's Bible. The, the great apostle of love talks about the wrath of God 
uh, both in his gospel and in his letters. But the problem is Calvinists almost make it like God the Father is angry and God the Son is happy and innocent. And that's why that line is so key to show that Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? Just so we could make an altar call and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior once? No. As I always say, Catholics should accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but that's just the beginning of the Christian life. So, well, actually, baptism is, but later in life, you should really uh, own the fact that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and make it public to people. So why did Jesus pay the price just for us to feel good about being forgiven? No, so we could be another Christ on earth. Listen again. Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's your goal who's listening to this podcast, to die to sin and live to righteousness. And then we have that next line to show that Jesus' death was not only legal in, in regards to the weight of sin and in atonement and propitiation, but also medical insofar as I hurt myself when I sin and I hurt Jesus when I sin. But what is it exactly that heals me? By his wounds you have been healed. How beautiful and powerful that is. By his wounds you have been healed. Or the Dewey Rhymes Bible is even much more vivid in the visual, calling to mind how the scourging of the pillar took just as much of his life as what would happen at the cross. By whose stripes you were healed. By whose stripes you were healed. Have you ever considered yourself healed by the very stripes on Jesus' back that happened at the scourging of the pillar? Those stripes on his back at the scourging transmitted the merits upon your soul through baptism and later confession, if you've ever committed a moral sin, to heal you. It's not just to let you receive communion again. It's to heal you. And that's what the inerrant word of God tells us here, that Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live to justice, by whose stripes you were healed. Please memorize that one in whatever Bible translation you like. And please say, An Our Father for me, at benedictio dei me potentis, patris et spiritus sancti, descended super vos, et maniat semper. Amen. <laughs>